Welcome to the Awake to Joy podcast. The advice and strategies contained here may not be suitable for your situation, and you should consult a professional where appropriate. Let's listen to today's program. Hey, Renee. Hi, Annette. Today, we're going to talk about not being believed. And for myself, when I went ahead and told adults that I had been abused, not just when I was a little child at five years of age, when I had words that I could actually put things together and said that I was being abused. Um, I was given silence. That's something we don't talk about, that type of thing. And it seemed like I was not believed because this seemed so horrific. I also wasn't believed when I was sexually assaulted in the pastor's office when I was 16 years old. So both times were sexual abuse, both times were not believed. And you had asked me a question earlier on how that affects you the rest of your life. Yeah. And before I go into that, my thought was, well, everybody's had a moment in their life when they've not been believed when let's say you've shared your heart or your passion or the, whatever the circumstance was, and you didn't even question that you would not be believed, but you weren't. How did you react or feel afterwards moving forward? And so I'm going to ask you that question first. Since you, when you talked about your sexual abuse, you were believed right away. So I'm just going to talk about, bring up a generic event yeah. where you were not believed. Well, my story, there's actually several of them I could probably bring up, <laughs> but one example was I was in a grant writing course and at the very end of it, we were asked to be the peer review for other teams writing. Oh, like and in so, a group? Yes, so it was it was a large, large group of people, but we were all broken into small teams and we were writing grants for different things. So like one group of doctors and scientists, they were writing one specifically to try to find money for AIDS, okay? So there's an idea, different things that were going on. And for me, it was exciting to be on the peer review piece of it because now the professor's saying, I want you all to speak up and speak into the work that these people are doing. Tell them where to improve, tell them, you know, what you like, blah, blah, blah. I like that kind of stuff. So I spoke up, at, you know, every one of them, we were invited to speak up. So I did, I obeyed, <laughs> I was loving it. But my coworker, um, after, I think it was the first day, my coworker pulled me to the side and said, Renee, you're really being prideful and you need to bring it down. Ouch. Yeah. And I'm going, hmm. The, the non-belief part was, dude, I'm doing my job in this class. We were asked to speak up. Now you're telling me to be quiet. And I didn't like that. And I not just didn't like it, but that wasn't the truth. The truth was I'm doing what I was asked to do by the professor. I'm not doing this because I'm being prideful and I have to speak. And in fact, I was cornered in the bathroom later that kind of helped with the whole story. And I was asked if I was on any organization's board. So that affirmed that I was doing it right, okay? But because of the words he used and this, this tone he used in the disbelief of my motive, it created a distrust between me and him. It immediately 
drew me away from him instead of being a partner, you know, a co-working partner with him. I did not want to have any, I really didn't want anything to do with him because I didn't want to be put down more. I didn't want to be disbelieved for my motives more, Makes sense. you know, so it put a rift between our relationship. I kept a distance. I kept quiet when I was around him. You know, why should I speak up with him? Why should I offer anything? So those are some of the things that came from that situation, but big time distrust of this man from that point forward. So, and that's telling the truth and not being believed is truly challenging in life, no matter what situation it is. So for me, not being believed broke trust. It meant I wasn't being listened to. Right. And also I wasn't going to be protected in my situation. It caused me to become angry in your situation. It caused you to give you space between that person. Yeah. For me, it caused me to become defensive. It angered me and I was resentful because I felt like nobody believed and nobody cared. I felt that it drew me to separate myself from my family. Though I had told the one person, this person was my mother and she's attached to everybody else in the family. So it was like they became a ball, a whole set of people, even though it was the one, she was ahead of the family. And if she could not be trusted, how could my siblings be trusted with such information? So they were thrown in the same boat. They were thrown in the same boat. They didn't Mm. deserve to be thrown in the same boat, but that's how I felt incredibly, incredibly alone to fight off something that continually happened. And I couldn't predict the when I knew the where, and I could hide in a closet or whatever it is, but eventually I would be found in the closet. Why are you asleep in the closet? And my stories wouldn't hold water and I needed to get back into bed. But it was my childlike way of trying to avoid being in bed in the middle of the night. Right. I'm sure it made people feel shut out because I avoided a lot of times being around other people. It at times made me work harder to try to engage with my mother, if that makes sense to try to make myself matter more to her like maybe eventually then she would hear my voice but I realized that that was just like running on a treadmill like a hamster and it got exhausting so it wasn't worth the effort instead of me helping to remove the knife that I came to my mom within my stomach because that's how I felt it was. Hey, mom, I just got stabbed by a knife in my stomach. It was more like her response shoved the knife in deeper, more secure, not as loose. And when it happened when I was 16 again, and they didn't believe me again, and then when they did find out, they supported the pastor more than they did me at all, It was, to me, the end of trying to even to relate to my parents uh, 
or my siblings. And it was just a twist of the knife in my stomach. And I felt like any self-worth I even had left in me was gone. Completely gone. I only felt betrayal. Right. I only felt worth outside of our home. I found worth in school by achieving. I found worth at work by achieving. It made people happy and made people have positive response back. And they weren't looking at me with contempt. And I felt like I was causing problems in the home. Mm. Again, remember, I'm defensive, I'm angry, and I'm resentful. So I'm not pleasant to be a teenager in the home. So Mm. I understand the response I was getting back. So that that's, might make sense. That's how it affected me. <laughs> that might make sense for the teenage years, but leading up to that, that was not how you were. You were more quieter. I'm imagining from that five to 16, you know what I mean? That feeling, that betrayal, but you weren't that difficult teenager yet. But I also separated myself from people because of all the shame I had and trying to understand a world that it didn't seem like anybody else was struggling with. Yeah. And then as I got older, trust was always hard to build with people. I'd see other people meet people for the first time and I could see that, oh, we're going to meet here and we're going to do things. And all of a sudden they were the best of buds, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was thinking, why are they trusting so fast, so Mm -hmm. easily? Because it did, did not come as fast. And even to this day, I would say, I don't trust as fast as many other people. It's because of the trauma that I went through. But I do trust faster than I did in the past. It's just definitely not the same as somebody who's not been abused and not been believed. Yeah. That non-belief. That non-belief. It's so not a joke to me that if somebody jokingly says oh my goodness I can't believe that the word believe sticks out to me and they're not causing me any harm I understand that but it sticks there it's like a catch Mm -hmm. I get it Mm -hmm. and they're not trying to hurt me and I'm not hurt but it does catch and I catch that word so strongly because of the you know the remnants of it God is helping me constantly and he's healing my heart constantly and he's helping me release and forgive and move on. Amen. But if somebody wears the same, let's call it aftershave that the pastor wore, they're not doing anything to harm me, right? Right. But here I am meeting them and I could smell them and that scent is so fresh. There's a part of me that goes on alert because the PTSD of that whole portion there is trying to flare up warning and I have to breathe and go, okay, God, need you in this moment, need you in every moment, (laughs) but I need you, especially in this moment, this person's done nothing, absolutely nothing. So that's how it affected me in the long run. Um, Just like it affected you in that relationship with that person. For the entire time afterwards. True. And it made me question when I spoke up. I'm grateful that I didn't carry that wound 
because if I carried that wound, I wouldn't be here on this message with you. You know, I would not have valued speaking up if I listened to him. I'll be honest, you know. So I didn't let it, it affected mine and his relationship, but I tried to make sure I didn't let it affect others. But I'm telling you, a one-time hit can silence you in many avenues, not just the abuse, but anytime you're not believed, it does make you question, you know, am I, it makes you question, am I valuable? Am I sane? What did I do wrong? You know, all these things that it wasn't even there in the first place. It wasn't there in that moment. And in the next moment, it's like a 50 pound, one of those weights that just falls from the sky, like in uh, the roadrunner. Hmm, the cartoon right it just bang and lands and you're like wasn't expecting this in the middle of the road right yeah or in this moment the biggest thing i have done when those moments happen is take it to the cross continually take it to the cross and go boy i'm not feeling listened to at this point or they're saying they don't believe this god i know this is true And I'm just going to take this and leave it at the cross because otherwise it develops that resentment. It develops that defensiveness and it definitely develops unforgiveness that has roots that want to go deep. And I don't want that. Amen. That's a good word. (laughs) Well, thanks for asking that question, Renee. It was kind of an odd question out of the blue, but I appreciate it. Oh, it spun from another message that we had done that folks might relate to when they hear it. So (laughs) there you go. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. You have been listening to the Awake to Joy podcast. Views expressed in this podcast are the speaker's opinions. Thank you for listening. If you could please give us a review below, we would appreciate it greatly as well as share this podcast with your family and friends. If you would like to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear from you. Check the show descriptions for more information. Under no circumstances shall Awake to Joy, its employees, volunteers, guests, or officers be liable for any direct or indirect losses or damages arising out of comments made. We look forward to chatting with you again. Because he lives, it changes everything.